Can I take my shoes off? I mean, will, will they stink? Well, I'm going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope it doesn't reek. Oh my God, got, this man just literally smelled his feet. Yeah, well, you're asking me, right? I don't want to cause any discomfort for well, you. I, I feel like you wouldn't be able to tell. I think I'd be the better judgment. Well, do you want to go put my foot in your face? I really do not. <laughs> we'll tell. We'll, we're in a small, of course, we're back in the Toronto Reference Library. TFL, baby. No. How, what do you, oh, TRL. <laughs> yeah, I was like. TRL. <laughs> TRL, baby. TRL, baby. So is that it? That's it. What do we do now? Uh, now I do the intro. Oh! Do you want to do the intro? Can we do it together? No. What do you mean? Well, I don't know. What is the intro? Like, how long is it? 30 seconds? No, I have a script. Oh. I oh, just... oh, then let me do the intro. Yeah, for sure. Well... Welcome to the Imperfect Podcast, where we discuss masculinity more intentionally and purposefully. Is this too loud? No, it's good. Okay. On this epi, Noah and I, I am Noah. <laughs> Go deeper into our conversation, creating things that we're passionate about, like joining cheerleading, being challenged in uh, my family and what it meant to be able to leave a place of work um, in support of someone else close to me. And I would say a lot of the nuances of growing up in different social circles. And then ultimately we talked about um, the passing of a loved one and what it's like to go through that and where you can go in the future. You can listen to this episode on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere podcasts are available. Honestly, turn on, roll down your window when you're driving. People are going to be blasting it in their cars on the 401. And please leave a review on iTunes as it does a lot for us in terms of getting us recognized on the store. If you want to be on the show or have any topic ideas, message me on IG at, at the imperfect pod. That was actually fantastic. Good job, Noah. Thank you. Yeah, that's pretty good. You filled in a lot of blanks. Is that the whole one? That that's just that's the intro. So to start off, uh, yeah. Noah, why don't you just introduce yourself a bit? Who you are, how we met, and uh, a little bit about you. The greatest place on earth. All right, so you got me coming back actually from Ottawa. I just had a couple big life events, a couple interviews over there in the city, and I was spending time at the Liberal Caucus Christmas party, attending it with my sister and a few other people. The last few months have been a bit of a roller coaster. I was involved full time on the uh, election campaign, mm-hmm. but before that, I was working at a company, and you and I, my first day, were crushing. Crossword puzzles at lunchtime, oh, yeah. and uh, from then I think a bond was really formed. And unfortunately, my time at Generis came to an end after four weeks, and I decided to devote myself to the campaign of my sister, and we won. Yeah. So there you go, man. And yeah, since then I've just been looking out, out for work. I'm living back in Burlington. I went to Guelph, graduated l- about one year ago last week was my last exam. So big shout out to that. Anyone still in exams? Good luck. And uh, yeah, I'm on the uh, I'm on the circuit right now. Well, I remember the first time I met you. Yeah. Someone was like on your LinkedIn. It said certified beautician <laughs> on your LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. So back in the day, I really liked to. I mean, I was coming out of university, so a lot of the times my professional interactions were mostly on campus with clubs that I was part of. And for whatever reason, I just put certified beauty in there. I thought fourth, fifth year was a good time to leave it in LinkedIn. I knew it wouldn't last forever. Um, and then when I finally got hired a few people recommended me I changed it but uh, I kind of wish I left it I love it it was good I mean I think it's great and I, I don't could, yeah I don't think it means anything too specific and I don't think it's too ridiculous to not be taken seriously still yeah and I think like I guess when it comes across on your resume and whatnot it would be the same thing as like I think some people would say that my resume is a bit too artsy and a bit too branded, but yep. I'm like, well, it defines me the best. Like I have that I climb Mount Fuji. I have that I eat uh, ate uh, su- uh, sushi at Tsukiji Market in uh, Tokyo. You talk about your travels. I talk about my travels, and I put that. And apparently, uh, when I was being hired, that was a key aspect of, like it was pointed out on my resume, and then now they use it as 
one of the highlighted resumes for applying to that role. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's what I, that's what I heard from uh, the recruiter there, is that they use mine as like a, this is what a, a good resume for this role looks like. Can you send me that resume? Yeah, of Very course. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just started talking about, man, I thought you were so fun. You were like, you're literally the most intriguing person I think I've ever met. Because thank, thank you. You're welcome. But from like a standpoint of like what you imagine you know, you're a, you're a louder guy. Yep. Um, probably you grew up playing hockey and sports. I played a bit of puck back in the day. Yeah. Never anything too serious. Yeah. But the way you talk is just like what people would think is such a Brad or Chad. But literally, the, my experiences with you is like the exact opposite. You're like one of the most giving, thoughtful, awesome people I've ever met. You were a male cheerleader. Hey, thank you. Yeah, and you're a vegan, and this man's making a sewn. A hand-sewn sweater. Tell them what it is. Out of his old hockey socks for his dad. like For Christmas. For Christmas. He's a DIY, all-you-can-do kind of guy. And you're like, and it confuses you because of the way he talks. is like, what? And then he's just such a nice, friendly guy. It's just like it's the biggest, you're the biggest juxtaposition of a human I've ever met. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my, my question always to come back to that is, why do you have such a different view of people that might typically be associated with a Brad and a Chad? Like I guess my from my personal experience, I haven't <laughs> fair enough been. They haven't been good. Like I grew up in a high. Like I grew up playing hockey and baseball. Yeah. I never even when I did that, I didn't find myself aligned with the, the, the good players. Like they were always kind of braggadocious, loud, egotistical. Which I was taught growing up in a in a kind of more reserved Christian home was not a good thing. Okay. And then uh, I grew up in the church, so like grade twelve, I just didn't align with them on a lot of views. Like I didn't party. I wasn't into that scene. I'm still not into that scene, really, like truly. And I guess my experiences with those guys have, has always been negative from a more because I've always been a bigger guy like yep. not fit overweight not really athletic in grade 9 gym I hated it because like I was always picked last or, or whatnot or like maybe teased a bit for my size so I've never really had a good relationship with people that have been like that but as I've grown up over the last two years I've did, I've realized that you can't judge people by that and what, like I've always considered sales guys to be like oh they're just sales guys <laughs> like they're loud braggadocious and whatnot and no one really likes them because they're yeah. so cocky. But I, like even at Generis, I like a lot of them. The other day, most of them. I, once I learn more about them, I always say it'd be hard to make sales if no one liked you. Yeah. So they're probably all likable people. Yeah. And they're probably actually pretty nice. That's actually a good point. It'd be hard to make sales if no one liked you. That's it. Man, that's good. But I did. I met a lot of salespeople at the company as well, and I thought I really got along with a lot of them. Yeah. And there are good people there. Yeah, I think you're also just someone that no one can really hate. You're like a golden retriever of I, humans. I grew up with two older brothers, so I always made sure to figure out how to be on everyone's good side. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Were you like beaten up a lot like by your brothers? <laughs> I would say we, we wrestled, and just at the time, because they were bigger than me, they had the advantage, but overall, we were both doing our best. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I have a brother who's six years older than me. We never really wrestled all that much, but I would always lose. So I could take a beating. I could take a hit. For me, it was just like, until I turned 16, 17, where I really was physically close to the same size, that's when it, we kind of evened out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, 12 years, I think it, I think it was good. It, it toughs you up a little bit, and it kind of gives you exposure to yeah. different scenarios. I was um, with my brother. I was, we were about the same size, but I'm like bigger. So I could okay. fight him back just from my bigger size, but he was fit, so he could beat me up. A bit stronger, a bit faster, yeah? Yeah. So it was, Michael... If you're listening, I'm going to get you one day. Just letting you know. Well, it won't be tonight, though. No. Tonight, I'm with the broski. Yeah. And we're recording in a library. Two places where two young men would never be seen. But here we are. I don't know if two young men would never be seen in a library. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was like, where am I going with this? I don't know. I lost track. Yeah. But um, I want to go back to your male cheerleading experience. Yes. That was one of the things you highlighted to me like the first time I think I met you is like how proud you were to be a male cheerleader. I've seen you do some tricking on your... Uh, I do flips. Yeah. What I will tell you is unless you see it in real life, you never believe a video. So can I record you later doing a, a backflip? The, I just don't think the floor is stable enough and secure enough for when I land. 
We are in the library. Yeah, I know. You need you need some reinforced concrete for this. Oh really? <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't do any I don't do any backflips for like trick just to yeah. show off. I only do them in safe, like designated spaces. Okay. Understandable. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But don't wanna mess that up. Yeah, but thank you. Yeah. But uh, going to your cheerleading, was it in high school, was it in university or what? Third year of university. Yeah. We had a new house and we were actually we got invited to a beer pong tournament at a house that a few children lived at and it was during the first it was the first week of school I'll draw it in the air and um, because we live right by them we thought okay we'll just go check it out and while I was there I chatted with a few of the cheerleaders a few of the athletes and uh, they were just letting me know like look a guy like you super super almost in really like almost in good shape mm-hmm. um, pretty friendly willing to try new things and good at riding a bicycle we, have, we need one more guy on our team. And I thought, okay, I'll go to the tryout. It was on my birthday, and it was the first week of school, and I thought I'll go to the tryout, check it out, whatever. I end up making the team. All of a sudden, the coach tells me, he says, hey, you need to be here every practice, twice a week for every week until April. And I, I was right then and there, I said, all right, I guess I'm gonna be a cheerleader. Three years later, best experience of my life. What was the bicycle correlation to being a good cheerleader? Shows coordination and fearlessness. Riding a bicycle? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's what you they described it as? That's just what I know it's associated with because I've, I've ridden many bikes. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I was like, what's the correlation? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, and then I guess in the, in the sense of your sexuality and, and yes. women interacting with women on the team in a very... It's like dancing in terms of how kind of touchy-feely it can be. Yeah. Um, so what was your kind of experience with that? So it's a physical game out there for sure. It's full contact. And that's practice when you're competing, when you're playing football. Like oftentimes you're literally throwing bodies in the air and catching them. But uh, I'd say, given my sexuality, the bottom line is like when you're at practice, you're all your teammates, you're hanging out. You mm-hmm. know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a sexualized like scenario. Mm-hmm. It's just practice, right? It'd be like if you're on any other team in any other situation, whether it was with girls or boys. Um, but yeah, practice, very, very fun. Yeah. And you get to chat with everyone, everyone's cool, and people are just doing flips, cartwheels, all sorts of gymnastic, incredible um, tumbling. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's me. Were you, so you didn't know how to tumble? So, get this, when I started, I knew nothing. Okay. By the end of it, I could do a back tuck, standing tuck, and I had it actually pulled off, round off back tuck, sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Can you describe what a tuck is for those that... A tuck is when you're know. standing, you go straight up, back flip, legs over your body on back onto the ground just backflip standing backflip okay yeah um and then like in terms of your i guess friends and and whatnot were you ever made fun of for being a cheerleader or? <laughs> i will say when i told my friends i was going to be a cheerleader everyone was making fun of me for many different reasons um some people just thought i was an idiot so like what do you mean you're gonna be a cheerleader you probably just watch fired up and think you're gonna be good or whatever like you're gonna be lost out there other people would have said it's a sport for girls other people would have said other things um, but for me, at the, by the end of it, people were more more excited for me and more supportive of it, and they realized how fun it was for both me and everyone. Mm-hmm. So everyone was into it. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I know you talked a bit about how um, on the phone when we were doing our prep call about kind of the relationship between the questions that you would get regarding being a male cheerleader. Was there so, anything like any, in specific? So everyone always asks. This is the question. Mm. Any, not everyone. I'd say a lot of people. They go, so do you sleep with like 100 cheerleaders? And that's all the first question everyone wants to know. And I, I get it. Like there's only a couple guys and there are a lot of girls. People can put that together. But as I said, for like what I noticed is that your teammates first. Does it happen? Sure, with people. But... Um, it's not like you're out there and that's all you're trying to, you're just trying to hook up with girls. You're literally out there because you love the, everything about your being the competition, the camaraderie, the teamwork and the incredible human stunts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then going, I guess, what did that teach you about life? Like what was one of the biggest lessons you took about or took away from So what I like about cheerleading is it's like an individual team sport in the sense that few people make big mistakes it can cost the entire team so everyone needs to be doing their absolute best but your absolute best is also only as important as everyone else's in the sense that like you know you can't make a mistake because that person's perfection will get deducted because of you Mm -hmm. 
and it's really cool to have that where like you you feel responsible together but also with each other and then also like you want to see other people do well and your team wins so you're like i'm gonna do my hardest mm-hmm. and we're gonna win and i would like to say we were natty champs back in 17. natty champs is national champs national champs yeah okay <laughs> yeah i have and, to i have to learn your lingo on the fly here well exactly and Quick shout out to Guelph University. They actually got Natty Champs, both co-ed and all-girl, two weeks ago at PCA. So. Shout out Guelph. Yeah. Even though I'm a Laurier kid. Still crushing it. Laurier came second. They were good. Oh, yeah. damn. I knew you we were good. I, I, in first year, I had a cheerleader on my floor yep. who, uh, who was pretty good. Um, you also talked a bit about wanting to be in politics. You just came back from Ottawa to here um, to, do this, to do this interview with me. So I guess this is the first, uh, first politic, politi- politics focused podcast yes done. so I think uh, for a long time in my life kind of thinking of what are the avenues I want to go in for me impact has always been a number one metric that I want to that I want to attain um, and what I've noticed about being involved in the election is that politics actually are really important for things to actually happen in the government and in Canada and the world mm-hmm. so I realized I want to get a little bit of exposure to that industry. Mm-hmm. And so you quit the, our workplace to go help your sister. I watched all your uh, my campaigning all videos. Your campaigning videos on Instagram. It was a strong campaign. They were hilarious. Michelle and I from work, not the one you know, Michelle, well, you know both of them. I know Michelle all Recruiter. Yep. Uh, her and I were crying at like half of them. Uh, I had some good footy during the campaign. You did? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I guess talking about that progress and yeah, you went door to door a couple times. <laughs> door to door every day. I was knocking probably 400 doors a day. How was that? Not bad. So I've done door to door sales before, which can be pretty tough. But when you're knocking for politics, it's a little different because you're not necessarily trying to sell anyone or anything. You're just trying to get interaction with them and ideally answer some questions they have, but you ultimately can be in and out of a door at five minutes. Most of them are much shorter than that. So you're just knocking on doors. Sometimes people that support your party, so friendly, so supportive. Sometimes people that don't support your, your party could be a little bit rude, but uh, it's all in a good day's work. And if it doesn't rain, it doesn't matter how bad they are at the doors. It's yeah. still a beautiful day to be outside. What if it is raining? Well, <laughs> hope you brought an umbrella. No, we usually do apartment buildings when it's raining. Oh, and that's the, smart. And the fun thing about apartment buildings is sometimes they have security and they'll say that you're not allowed to come in. But you have there's, there's a law written in under the Elections Act that says they have to let you in, otherwise they can get a five thousand dollar fine, and you get to play a little bit of good cop, bad cop with them, you know. Say so if you don't listen, you go to jail. But it is a it is a law; they have to let you in. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, actually, that's pretty smart though. That you on rainy days you go to apartments. I didn't really think politics could be that smart. <sighs> that's what I'm telling you. They actually are getting a lot smarter, especially with AI. Really? Oh yeah. Can, is this uh, public information? Or no. Right? Right, right, right. <laughs> How do you have it then? I don't have it. Okay. <laughs> um, no, so I, I think it was really cool of you to kind of leave a job yeah. to go help your sister and kind of focus on the family. Um, I don't really think many other people would do that from my experiences with that. Uh, especially now that you you kind of had this first was it your first career job your first like real job it was my first career job after university yeah yeah and so to like do that for a month then leave to go support your sister and now you're not working again but you're looking yeah I think that's like really brave in a lot of ways thank you uh, so like what was your kind of decision around did you like if, did you know your sister was gonna oh yeah run and you knew you were gonna kind of leave the entire time yeah well no no so I didn't okay. I didn't know I didn't think I was leaving when I first took the job I told my sister I took a job in Toronto I'll help out when I can yeah um, but as I got closer and closer to election I noticed my sister was texting us like more and more frequently yeah and I had heard other people make comments like having one of the Gould brothers there's three of us during an election is really handy because you can treat us a little different than like a regular volunteer in the sense that we can do undesirable things, you can put a bigger workload on us, and we're the brothers, obviously we're gonna do it. And the last election, my oldest brother, he did it, but I was at university, and this time I just really thought, do I wanna be the one who in three months now from now, maybe got a promotion to the next level, but my sister lost the campaign, you know? Mm-hmm. Or would I rather it be me, maybe not have a job in three months, but now my sister 
she's actually a minister. She's, she's an MP. She's a minister, right? Like mm-hmm. her her future at that point seemed more important than my immediate trajectory. And uh, also, I wanted to become the most the most valuable brother on the campaign, which I got. So were you other two brothers on the campaign? <laughs> or did you nominate this for yourself? Sorry? Did you give this award to yourself? So it has not been formally given to me yet. Okay. Admittedly, the volunteer Christmas appreciation party is next Thursday. I'm expecting it. Um, okay. But out of three brothers, one of them was actually living in Ottawa. So okay. easy one for me to, to beat. Yeah. And the other one had a real job working full time at the bank. So okay. really, I was the only one available all day. Okay. But I was there all day. Okay. And uh, I guess there was something I wanted to ask you within that that I kind of forgot. Um, so, okay, so this was your sister's second time running. Yeah. And this was her first time winning? She's won back-to-back. Oh, so she won last time. To two-peat, yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. And so was was it kind of like this that got you into wanting to go into politics yourself? or? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think... Um, to me, what was just amazing is interacting with literally thousands of people in your community. And what I find really fascinating is that during the election, everyone's charged up about their political views. The election ends the next day, no one talks about it. And it kind of everyone just moves on. And I think a lot of people don't know a lot because they don't pay attention to politics, but there's mm. stuff happening. There's things that are happening out there. If you don't see it, you forget about it. Yeah. Um, and once I saw a little bit of what was going on, I realized I think I could be involved in that. Yeah. Well, today, just Andrew Shear resigned. Stepped down. Yeah. So, I never supported him as a leader, but this is something that I want to bring up with you. Is it better to be the head of a party but be a bad one, or to never have been the head of party at all? Well, see, I don't really... I think the reason... He, that's a good question. I The, the reason he wasn't liked as the head of the party, because he, he, he was too non-decisive on some of the policies that... CPC wanted to put into place, right? Like they weren't happy that he was indecisive about some of the, I think, other homosexuality or or abortion things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I would rather be, because it de- de- depends on how you determine bad. And so what I'm thinking, okay, right? Would you rather be a leader that lost and maybe doesn't have a good reputation because of the loss, or have never been a leader at all? A leader that lost. Right. I think so. But. I mean, if the reason he resigned was because he took money from his kid for his kids to pay for their private school education, which was what reported. Did he do that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. But yeah. So Global News found out that he, the reason he resigned, or one of the reasons he resigned, or was forced to resign, was because he took the money from the campaign and paid for his kids' private school education. Okay. Which is funny because I remember a clip going viral he like a gonna, year ago about gonna... Trudeau swing set that he bought for his kids or something like that. There was something about a swing set that Trudeau used Canadian money for to buy his kids. Some I don't mind buying the Prime Minister a swing set. I mean, I'm not for it, but I'm also... I would rather that than... Well, we also pay for their house, so I mean, what's... They really, don't even live in that house. What's really the difference? Yeah, right? I agree. Yeah. I mean, paying for the education is kind of ridiculous. What, what, are, the, what are the Trudeau people do? I think their kids if we are, pay their salary and they they pay their kids, what's the difference, right? What's the difference? Yeah. But if they're taking donated money, <laughs> I mean, either way, I mean, money it, for in, that's it's money. just whatever way the money flows. I guess that matters the most. Do you think there could be a correlation with Andrew Shear saying they're going to slash billions in spending and him stealing money from the campaign to pay for his kids? What else was he going to buy with the money that he was going to spend, right? Really. It's really interesting though. Like I, I do find pol- like I hate pol- like yeah. there's no one I hate more than pol- politicians, but also have you met all of them? No, but who are the ones you're listening to? Like I just mean like politics in general, like the, what, the games and the PR stunts and a lot of that stuff. Like I don't like the psychology the system. I mean, I, I like it because it's strategy, but I also don't yeah. like it because you're playing with people's lives in a lot of cases. Often, or, yeah, yeah. So it's more like just the scale of the game that I don't like. Um, but I have always, I've wanted to be prime minister too. Like you want to be the PM? I think so. So I'm going to tell you something right now. Best way that they're predicting for 20 years later, people that started podcasts now. Really? Yeah, well, what do you think the, like, the most common way to speak to everyone's going to be in 10, 15 years? True. Right? Damn, I'm ahead of the game. Didn't even know that. Thanks, Noah, for that information. Other people are going to going to, poly, to study poli-sci? Nah. Nah. I don't think that's useful. So some of the things we're talking about, though, are going to be like, cringing. I don't even know. Unless 20 years from now? Who so that's why you have to be careful what you post because whatever you say now will either help. I really don't give a shit. If someone in 20 years from now is like, Luke, what you said 20 years ago, you're getting in trouble for it, I'd be like, okay. 
I said it 20 years ago. <laughs> he said I was dumb. I was 22. <laughs> I was I was growing. I was still yeah. learning. I was having real conversations, and the times have changed. And to the best of your perception and ability, because a 22-year-old's yeah. point of view would be different than a 45-year-old. Yeah, that's why I never like when people apologize for saying things, unless it was like actively hateful then. And then you're just like, listen, I would say, listen, uh, maybe I, I, I was wrong, but I'm not going to apologize because that's what I said 10 years ago. And I don't believe that anymore. I've changed. Yeah. There's no need for me to go back and apologize. I, I would say you can be apologetic for the sentiment of the time. Yeah. Apologetic, but not apologizing. Like, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Because no one's going to... What Like, a public apology never... I think people like to hear it. I mean, do they? I don't know. I always, what I find is that people respect how hard it is to be that humble sometimes. Like, take that humility upon yourself to actually, like, accept guilt and responsibility and then say you're actively trying to change it. I get that. So, like, Trudeau with blackface and saying, like, I'm sorry, I did I think, I think a good apology, yeah. Yeah. I think it was a good apology, too. I liked how he was, so I, I forget which interview it was or which uh, journalist he sat down with, but I liked how much they pressed him on the issue. I think it was on one of the podcasts that I listened to, um, but I think it was Global News too. They sat down with Trudeau right after, and like she went really hard at him, saying like, "Like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. Do you think you're fit to be a leader still?" And I like the way she attacked him. She came at him really aggressive, and I that was like one of the first times I thought Trudeau, because I'm not really a fan of him specifically. I'm, yeah. I'm a liberal voter. You gotta meet him. I mean, I just don't like the way he talks. <sighs> Puts me on edge. I mean, I think most prime ministers, that's the way it is. They're talking serious stuff. No, I mean, like, the way he talks. Like, how what he sounds like. I heard him speak the other night. It was pretty good. But either way, and you and, I, different in the room. you and I might have a different ear for it. Yeah. But usually, like, what ear do you usually listen through? Your left ear or your right ear? Like, if I have one headphone in? Well, like, yeah, or just when you, you stand. Uh, probably my left. Okay. Does that matter? Well, it's... Your political view is when you listen through it. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant like literally what ear. Yeah, dude, that no, was, that was a bad joke. Okay. Yeah. My God. Are those allowed on this podcast? Jokes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I just look like an idiot. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get your joke, but I'm still gonna post it because I don't have many listeners, so no one's gonna. That's the no beauty. We can we can say this stuff now and no one listens. Right? I know, right? I'll check. I'm like, well, ten listeners. Who cares? Twenty twenty years ago, if someone dicks something up, you'll be like. Someone listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, I said it 20 years ago, like, tell, but no one listened like, then. Tell everyone to listen now. <laughs> I think that is a good way to like get viral, kind of. Say something edgy? Or? I would say if you had a controversial comment that could come up in the news and then you could defend it and like work a way around it. Yeah. I think it's good. And I think there's podcasts are good um, avenues for, like I think... Difficult and important discourse. Yeah, for many issues. I agree, and that's why I, I, one of the reasons I like to keep it unedited and not cut a lot of stuff yeah. out is because we just had the conversation about would I apologize, and then you came back at me with something, and I was like, okay, maybe I like be apologetic. Like, yeah. so if someone took a clip and was like, oh, this guy would never apologize, and then I'm like, listen to 30 seconds later, he kind of convinced me that maybe being apologetic would be a good thing. And I'm like, oh shit, true. So that's why that's one of the reasons I don't really edit this. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, you you talked about wanting to have an impact. You want to be a person that has yeah. impact on people. I would say that's 100% true in Thank my you. meetings with you. I'd say you really impacted a lot of people at Generis from our, my conversations with people. Just being like, we remember that guy. He worked here for a month, but we remember him. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And I remember all that too. Yeah, I would imagine. I feel like you'd remember a lot of people. I feel like you would, even if it was a month ago, yeah. you would knock on someone's door or you knocked on someone's door, you'd be like, Bob lives there. My boy Bob. There's no Bob that works Janaris. <laughs> no, not at Janaris. Oh my god. You're making me look like an idiot again. <laughs> you're door knocking, you fool. No, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, then I saw that you were doing um, snow shoveling for people. So I think we, I need to be honest about this. Yeah. Did I set out that morning intending to shovel other people's driveways? Yes. Did I only end up shoveling my own? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. But I shoveled. <laughs> So I shoveled some part of the sidewalk, and I literally shoveled the grass at one point as well. But that was more just so I could have like a good Instagram video. I was trying to, that was a humorous one. I I thought you literally shoveled other people's driveways. No, it was just a different angle? Yeah, my, my driveway's pretty big. <laughs> oh my god. 
Well, I guess there goes your credit. No, I was going to give you some credit, but now I won't. Uh, the, the trouble was that, like, other people's driveways already had been shoveled. Sure. <laughs> Making excuses. Yeah, I didn't show anyone else's driveway. I'm a phony, but that's why I wanted to bring it up here because I, I, I never said I was showing anyone's driveways. No. But I, I might have misled people. Okay. Yeah. Understood. I, I appreciate the humility and the, and the honesty. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, like I think you as a, a guy have been really interesting to me as someone who's just totally, fully themselves at a lot of times. Um, you don't really seem to care about anyone's judgment of you. Where does that come from? This is, these are the questions I ask myself all the time. Because when I think back, even when I was like grade one, grade two, um, I was very always outgoing and in kind of peculiar ways. And so if I think about where the origins are from, I think definitely having a big family. It's just so, you're just so exposed to so much social interaction. And my parents were really affirming. So I think it allowed me to build confidence myself. But we also traveled a lot around the world. So I was exposed to a lot of different points of view. And it allowed me to kind of build this interpretation of my awareness that I take a lot of freedom with, and mm -hmm. especially freedom of expression. And you're the youngest of four. Youngest of four. So like me, also youngest yeah. of four. There's a lot of similarities in us. Uh, I wasn't that pop. I wasn't that uh, outgoing in grade one and two though, because I was homeschooled. Okay. So until grade nine. Okay. So my only social interactions was church, sports, uh, hockey, and baseball, and then. Um, I was going to say my last one. The homeschool group. Homeschool. Home was that with other homes? Yeah. So like there was a group of people from my church that we were all homeschooled together. Okay. And it was during that we would get together like once every two weeks um, to do like a big group thing. And like that, those were like the limits of my social interaction. But I was kind of always the same. I was always, I, I remember in grade two and then when I was in church, me and my one friend would always get kicked out of church like we'd always get kicked out of uh the uh church service or whatever they called it because you were getting like into trouble service because we would distract each other <laughs> i've always been a distractor and, and when i was in high school i'd always be with someone talking i, I couldn't stand not talking yeah um i was tried like my some of my teachers wanted me to be voted class clown but i wasn't popular enough to be like so i wasn't popular amongst high school kids but i was popular and funny to the teachers okay so like i don't know what it was but i wasn't really funny with other students but the teachers found me funny you had a, a mature humor did i well i don't know i think the teachers were, just liked me no and you were going over the heads of the kids these are 17 yeah. year olds but the teachers are all in their 20s 30s 40s yeah you know, it was sure. funny because i wasn't a good student like i my chem teacher was the one, the first one who told me I, she wished I got class clown. I had a 59 in her class in grade <laughs> Like, I was distracting. That's a I, tough mark. I was, yeah, 59. I, I tried, like, I was trying to go into engineering. Did you get it up? No. I didn't even care. I didn't care at all. Okay. Um, I'd already gotten into Lori for something else. <laughs> so, I yeah, was like, no. And then, um, my physics teacher, I got a 60 in physics. And she A also, little bit better. A little bit better. Uh, she also was like, um, you're like she. I was one of her favorite students, even though I got such a low mark. And then in music, I did really well, and I won Spirit Award three times. In you got the Spirit Award. I got Spirit Award in choir in grade eleven and twelve. That's a huge award on choir. Yeah, and I got Spirit Award in, in band in grade eleven. So they they I got it in grade eleven for both choir and band, yeah. and then they decided in grade twelve that they shouldn't give it to me for both things again. So they split it up and I think they, I, got, I got band or, or choir. They literally sure. said if this guy doesn't have a shelf big enough for all these awards, yeah. we'll give it to someone else. Yeah. So it's in, it's interesting to me how that I was perceived in high school because I wasn't popular amongst kids, but I was really well respected amongst the teachers for whatever reason. Did you respect them? Yeah. That's huge. But like I don't know. Like I've always been social, the yeah. same as you, without really having a lot of the social background. At work the other day, they found out I was. Um, they found out I was homeschooled for like the first time. I just found that out today. Yeah. So I don't really. It's not really something I say, but it's like sometimes my fun fact. Yeah, that but is that is fun. One of the managers found out I was homeschooled, and she's like, "How did you end up like this?" Because people have that that weird <laughs> that, that idea that we're it's like what you think about social. Brad and right? Chad, right? Yeah. Like people that haven't met many homeschooled kids. Yeah, and I would say you know people that are homeschooled that are weird. Very high in numbers, typically. <laughs> like I know, I know people that 
you know, never were acquainted. Like, they, they were literally homeschooled all the way through university. Yeah. And, like, these people really have no social skills. Like, they're really sheltered. But with me, my the, one of the managers was like, I, how did you end up this way? I'm like, honestly, I don't know what happened, but everyone's shocked. And <laughs> so am I. But I love it. And every single time I say I'm homeschooled, everyone's like, you were homeschooled? Because they just can't believe it. <laughs> I'm like, huh, I don't so know. So I think, you. obviously, your parents are cool. They're pretty cool. That's what I mean. Like they weren't doing boring homeschool. They were having probably just as much of a stimulating homeschool as anyone else. Oh, it was so stimulating. Like I would, my mom would uh, read to us, and then I'd be playing with Lego or like coloring books. We had a trampoline. We were allowed to like go outside and do fun That's stuff. That's what I mean. I don't think the um, the cookie cutter classroom that we're seeing, especially now with the current um, obviously between the Ontario government and the teachers' classroom sizes. Um, but I don't think that's that's the best way for people to learn, mm-hmm. right? And I think we. Definitely school is a very social playground, but when it comes to actually learning, and there's other things that I think we need to refine. I, that's why, like, uh, in uh, third year university, I was part of a social entrepreneurship class, and one of our, me and my team were designed to come up and try to solve a, a wicked problem, which is, like, a problem that incorporates encapsulates like a lot of other problems ours was that we chose was education it was four random people we did we found out that our four experiences were all different i grew up homeschooled one of the guys grew up montessori one and then i think two other individuals one might have done international school and one one of them did normal school but their their parent was a teacher too so like they knew the ins and outs and knew exactly like how to game the system in terms of okay this is what i know school doesn't teach so i'll teach them too so we all had a very unique aspect and so we kind of combined a lot of the best aspects of our our education and then designed a new school it was interesting yeah yeah was the new school successful theoretically yeah I think it did really well. It was it was all about um, tailoring to each individual what they did in micro units, like in a home, and you kind of shift from home to home for a week. So you experience other people's families, you like family life. You experience other people's houses. You learn like, okay, this person doesn't have a base, or this person has a basement and a and a main floor, but doesn't have a. So you, it's like, oh, it's a bungalow. You like learn. On the job, and different lifestyles. Like different yeah. lifestyles. You're like, oh, interesting. I'm going to respect this person because they only have an apartment, but that doesn't mean they're less than someone who lives in a mansion. And like, we might even say that a lot of disrespect comes from misunderstanding. A hundred percent. I would say almost all disrespect. Maybe ninety to hundred percent of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good quote. I'm gonna uh, write down the time of that. You can have that. I can have that. Yeah, it's all. Jeez, you're that giving means, me things. I'm giving you things. That means now I can actually say something that I said and have like quote it in like a paper or something and say it was on the podcast. <laughs> I'll put it on a clip on Instagram too, so yes. you can have that for you. Nice. No, I I think um, education is really important. And when you, I guess when you grew up in your family, how much was it stressed that you could be? You said you was really affirming. How how much was it like stressed that you could be? who you were, that um, you still to be a good person, a yeah. kind person, which it seems like there's emphasis on, but it seems like you were affirmed in a lot of ways. Um, in, a, in a lot of ways, I would say I wasn't affirmed for who I am. Okay. Like, it was more like, you, Luke, you're arrogant, or Luke, you're kind of too wild. Like they tr- I was trying to be like toned down, and I've always been like, this is just who I am. And a lot of the characteristics that are have always been de- like defining to me in terms of my... Um, in, in, in terms of my braggadocious or like kind of like humble brags, like that's always been the way I am. It's been part braggadocious. of braggadocious. Yeah, that's part of been always been part of who I am, and so I think my family has now accepted that that's part of my humor. But when I was younger, it was it was conveyed as like bad aspects that I've pulled from other family members that weren't aren't good, more desirable. Yeah. Okay. So like, but it sounds like your family was very affirming. So I think. <laughs> For me, one of the things that I, I was very beneficial from is the fourth child syndrome in the sense that, at least in my sense, it looked like my parents, after having three, were like, you know what, if you leave them, they're actually going to do okay. So they weren't as, like, I would say hands-on in the sense of directing me, and they always were supportive of my endeavors and wanted to help me get my goals, but never did they ever, like, say, these are the goals you should have and we want you to take them. They just, mm-hmm. they just added a little bit of water and watched it grow. Yeah. I would say it's become a lot like that because yeah. I was just I started to do my own thing. I started my like I, I started my podcast and then they watched it grow. But it was oh, this is very recent for you. 
This, this is one of like, uh, I started in September? Yeah. Or And there's been a change since then. In what? In what you just said that your parents have been giving you more freedom. Yeah, yeah my parents like... Cool, welcome, really welcome support, to the club. Yeah, I know. My parents really support my podcast. It's not to say that my parents haven't supported me in my life, but it's like I... I've always been someone who will say I'm going to do something and then don't. So it's really easy for me to imagine why record people two, in my life haven't been in like... Record two happy then you cancel it, right? Yeah. Like it's always been easy to understand why people might be like, okay, we're not going to really support you because we know it's just going to be a wash. They need to see something tangible. Yeah. And so I started to do it and now I've had a lot more support in that. So whenever I... And now I keep going. Even though my first episode had, has like 100 listens and not, my last one had like 10... It's like gone down, but my confidence in making them has only gone up. You're we're constantly getting better, and I call these first hundred episodes are all literally your practice to get creativity. Yeah. After a hundred, you go big. That's when you get big. I, I'm really trying to figure out like exactly how I want to market this. Yeah. What I like, I'm learning everything all the time. Even our discussion at the beginning was, oh, you you're not gonna take some things away from me. I'm probably gonna take some things about the podcast away from you. Yep. Since this guy has his own podcast, it's called what? Three guys in a pool shed. We're on iTunes Music. We're on Spotify. And we actually were in multiple t- people's top four listen podcasts of 2019. So check us out on there, and uh, we'll be re- releasing this episode actually as well. You're gonna release my episode on your? Sorry, episode? I'm not the producer. I can't make that call. <laughs> <laughs> this is only two guys in a glass room. So I, don't, I don't know if it works the same way. You're we'll gonna have to change the name for that episode. That'll be our side, our side podcast. Two guys in a glass shed, in a glass castle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think we started our podcast around the same time. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty yeah. well. Pretty jokes. And, I mean, I think for both you and I realize this is something I've been noticing as you're entering the job market. I touched on this earlier about your like, the relevance of podcasts nowadays. They used to say you needed an undergrad as a requirement to get your foot in the door, let alone to be um, to be distinguished. Mm-hmm. Now, you either need a master's or a podcast to get to that next step. They're looking for one or the other. Really? Yes. To get to what next? What would a podcast be relevant for getting to the next step? So for me, for example, as a psychology major, a lot of people say, oh, no, you, need, you actually need a, a master's degree. Yeah. But because of the experiential learning factor of having a podcast, all in the recording, the actual coming up with content, discussions, posting it, and exposing yourself to the world, Allows you to get some real world knowledge. That's true. Yeah. Like I want to expand to start talking. Like once I, I'm trying to branch off into ways like beyond my friends. And so when I come up with people who I want to interview, it's like obviously right now I put celebrities, but it's also I want to meet with psychologists. I want to meet with like gender studies researchers. I want to meet with a lot of people that are are doing this more on like a critical and analytical day to day basis rather than just being like life experiences all the time. Yes. Um, and really try to hone in and learn at the same time. Learn my own masculinity and, and whatnot. And teach. Yeah, and teach, and be taught, and, and be understand, taught. and just understand, I yep. think. Um, and so I think that's the exciting part to me, and podcasts are a great way to get to get a foot in the door, to meet really cool people that you never thought you would meet in the first place. Like Even just say, hey, I have a podcast, can we talk? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you're worth talking to. Yeah. Hey, Even, hey. I mean, Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it depends on the amount of listeners for some people, but... But they don't have to know how many listeners you have, and you say there's going to be a lot more after you come on the pod. I think so. <laughs> well, once I make the marketing materials for all you, and yeah. you have the clips, and you post it, and everything, you know, I'll do all that work for you, you just have to post it. And you got to sell like 50% of the profits you'll make from the episode. You're not going to make any money from the episode, it doesn't no. matter. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you 100% of the profits of this episode, <laughs> if, it gets, if there's anything on it. But, um, no, I, I really like the idea of podcasting because it gives you that reason to reach out to someone you would never reach out with yep. to. Um, we weren't going to, you and I were never planning to just come to Toronto to hang out in the library, right? All no. of a podcasts like, yeah, I'll come to Toronto for the pod. Yeah. And we drove some discussion, drove a phone call. It's a good way to get people's numbers too. That's one of the reasons I start, started to actually do the, um, do the pre-calls. Is yeah. One, I want to prep the call a lot better or prep the you want to build a relationship build a relationship understand more what you want to talk about you know hone it in because I felt like the first few ones kind of lost track and it wasn't really focused I feel like I've I've lost track right now but you said some interesting things that I wanted to go off of um, you're you're the host, right? I'm just yeah, I know. I'm yeah. in the backseat of the car. We're just conver- yeah, we're conversing exactly. while you're driving. I like this conversation. Me too. And then. Um, yeah, it's a good way to get people's numbers too, and then you can start texting them and you start following up with them. And you get a lot of numbers, I believe. Now I do. Yeah. So it's nice. I don't mind it. But 
now I want to get back to some of the things that we talked about on our call, which is a good. How are we doing, by the way? Do we have time for all of them? Yeah, we we covered a little, like most of them in the first like keep going. thirty minutes. Okay, good. So I think this is the, the really literally the last one, and then I just go to my three questions that I normally ask at the end. Of the do I get to ask you questions? Yeah, we can do that if you want. To. Well, why are you the one asking questions? I don't know. That's just how it works. Right, let's go. This is a, um, this is a heavy one, I believe, right? Huh? This is a heavy one. This is the this yeah. is the heavy one. Yeah. So um, on the phone, I learned that uh, your mom passed away. Yep. Uh, when was that? So she passed away New Year's Eve, twenty seventeen. Oh wow! Yeah, so okay. like December thirty first. Yeah, yeah. And like, how did that affect you? Was it surprising? What, like, what was kind of? So I'm gonna say first of all, I was very fortunate to be in the scenario I was when it, we were going through that. So my mom had cancer, and her health digressed, and then she was in a hospice for a little while, and then she passed away ultimately on December thirty first. I'll tell anyone like, if you're whether it's your parent, anyone you know, a loved one, like losing them. It's, it's very devastating and it's difficult because you have to go through your day-to-day life as you're, you're kind of seeing them go, right? Mm-hmm. And you spend time with them, but you do other things. Um, but for me, I also am so grateful mostly about it because I was in a scenario where I was able to be home. I was in school in Guelph, mm-hmm. so I could come home and spend time with my mom in the hospital and the hospice and over Christmas break. So literally I had nothing to do, just could spend time with her and the family. So we were really lucky that we had that opportunity. And I think... My understanding of life and death, we're all going to die. And I was so grateful when it happened to think, okay, I'm 21 years old. I got my mom for 21 amazing years. And some people with the relationship with their parents, they don't necessarily have that for even five years, right? Mm-hmm. So that to me was my first instinct. And then immediately after, I had never lost a loved one before, but we got showered in love from all of our friends, my parents, friends, my brothers. We have a lot of we had a really big influence on our friendships. A lot of my friends worked with my mom when she was a veterinarian. Um, we had a lot of hockey contacts, so my my mom just had so many people come by, and it was really powerful. And being shared by that, and like really being able to appreciate someone's life, is kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next few months, they're challenging. But for me, I was in Guelph and I was back there, and I got to distract myself and hang out with people. And I think that's the most important thing mm-hmm. in my experience. Is like. It's not, it's not that, oh, I'm sorry for your loss that matters. It's the, you're beside me and we're talking and we're here. Cause like, you just want to be surrounded by other people and just, just talk about positive things and still be positive because mm-hmm. bottom line is that we're all still here and we'll continue, but your life never will be the same. And I've noticed this more this year and last year is that in the first few months when it happens, you don't necessarily miss them because they're not gone that long in the sense that my mom not being around for a day when I'm at school isn't like it's not un, unusual but then as the years go by all of a sudden it's not that before you might not have seen them often but you would see them again now you're never going to see them again mm-hmm. and it's hard to definitely difficult to adjust to that and see how the roles they played at certain parts of your life now have to be fulfilled in other ways but uh, for me I'm really happy to talk about this on the pod because I think the death of someone it shouldn't be a weakness it should be a strength Mm-hmm. because I know there's a lot of times that I even think like when I'm doing something I said well if my mom were here what would she encourage me to do like what do I know that she she values and um, I want to talk about it more often and I think everyone it's a difficult process to go through should talk more about it because you get other people's insights mm-hmm. so yeah that's I guess yeah. when after she died you do you feel like that you kind of ramped up being yourself or were you kind of always like that because I know sometimes when people see death that close they can be like I'm going to live my full life yeah so I know that there were a couple things that definitely I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. so the summer before my brother had rode his bike across Canada and I was going to go with him Mm -hmm. and my mom encouraged me to go with him but instead I, I did a different summer job and the next summer, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do this trip right now. My mom just passed, like, I'm getting it done. I'm doing it this summer. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I definitely forced me to, to, to do something kind of in, in her honor. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say my personality didn't change. But what I, what I draw from seeing my family members, especially like when they're appreciated, I think that's my mom. She 
all the qualities that people loved about her, she gave me some of them. Mm-hmm. And it just made me feel confident. Like, yeah, you know what? I am my mother's son. I should be proud of it. And I am. That's dope. Yeah. Um, you kind of talked about... I was thinking that too when you said your mom died and you were able to be home like over, over the Christmas break. Does that kind of... Like, I know some people do celebrations of life every year. Um, being on a holiday, does that affect kind of your holiday season? Or, or like, do you... Um, not really. That's a good question. So I would say that the holiday season means something different for me now. And it's definitely not as magical as it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I, had, I already felt that way about my holiday season, even in my early 20s. Like the magic of opening presents on Christmas was kind of faded, but I still appreciated the time you spent with people. Um, and I find that now it is definitely a time of reflection. And I recall last year, December was a pretty somber month for me. But I think it gave me a lot of clarity and it's, it, it allows yeah, for extra reflection on myself, appreciate my family, and then think about my mom and remember her. And then also, you know, what are the things that I would want to do with her if she were here? Mm-hmm. That's good. Do you live your life for your mom now or do you still live it for you and then thankful for your mom? So she was there? I like your question. You asked if I live my life for my mom now. Did I live my life for my mom before? I would say it's pretty similar. Like I always, I always have been like, hey, I think mom will either love this or I think mom wouldn't like this. So I always would say I've, I've lived my life somewhat for her. But uh, yeah, I'm always thinking about her. Mm-hmm. That's good. And then with your relationship with your dad, did what? How did your dad respond? How did you see him strengthen him? Um, my dad was incredible. Yeah. So he had gone through the loss of his parents when he was a similar age, and he was just really good about like checking in with all of us, calling like we had family meetings often, and just to bring everyone on board. There was never a decision he made without talk, consulting everyone, and it was just like, all right, we're getting together, we're gonna tell it how it is, like we're all gonna be around each other, and like we all love each other, we're the family still, we're mm-hmm. still like, we're still here, and each one of us is a little bit of our mom, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was really, really good. And even my, all my siblings, the whole family, everyone was solid and really, like to go through it with them, I would say it was a privilege. And now that you've seen your dad respond after his wife's death, how do you define strength in a man? So I think, to me, strength, I guess, it is about masculinity, but I think it'd be the strength that would be the same as a man and a woman for mm-hmm. me, this definition. But it's just, uh, I've always felt that being strong or brave doesn't mean you're operating in the absence of fear or weakness. It means you're persevering through it. So the bottom line is you look at everyone around you and you say, okay, is this tough for everyone else? Yes. And you say, well, why should it be any harder for me? And can I make it easier for other people? And to me, that's the definition of strength. I like that definition. Can I lighten other people's burdens? I like that. And then I'm going to go into my last three questions and you can start questioning me a bit more. I got I a couple for you. But yeah, thank, that, thank you. I just want to say that was the first time I've spoken so publicly mm-hmm. about my mom's passing. And I invite that to be a topic that I'd like to encroach more and speak respectfully about my mother. Because yeah. I definitely, uh, yeah, I, I, I've, it's funny because my whole life I feel like I've been very blessed. Yeah. And the fact that I've never really lost anyone that I've been close with. Like it'll, my, it'll happen to everyone. One yeah. Day. It, like the only deaths, I've had a couple deaths in my family. Yeah. But uh, a couple were my grandparents who, by the time I, and I remember them like dearly from when I was a kid. They, they, we, they lived in London. We lived in, in Markham. We go there every once in a while being homeschooled. I spent a lot of time with them kind of growing up just because we were capable of traveling and, and kind of studying in London. We didn't have a, we weren't confined to a classroom. And so I have a lot of memories of my grandparents, but when they died, it was, they'd, like for me, they'd already had Alzheimer's for numerous years, and they died five, six years ago. The relationship you had in love wasn't the same preserved no, for the so last five it years. Yeah. It was just dying off. So when, when they died, it's like, to me, they hadn't really been alive. For a little while. For a little while. So I was okay with it. And I'm in the sense of death, I've never really experienced it that closely because of that. And which I think is a, a very blessing, but I also, I don't want, like, it sounds bad, but I also kind of wish I'd experienced it to be more personal just because 
I think there could be a lot of strength that comes from that, a lot of teaching. Um, and now I just, I really don't, because I've gone 23 years without anyone really close to me dying, I don't really want to see it ever. Like no, I, no one ever wants to see it. Yeah. And so I, I know it's kind of weird to say, but yeah. it's, it's, it's true to me, I guess. I think no one will ever want to see it and there will never be a number of them that you pass through and you say, okay, I can see another one. You're never going to want to see it, but it's going to happen to all of us. So, yeah. so I liked your, your idea though, of like. When I asked you, like, do you, because some people, when their parents die, they start living for their parents. Yeah. And I loved your answer in that you Thank said, you. I didn't live for her before. No, I said I did live before, before. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. okay. You said you lived for her before, and you live for her after. Yeah. And, or at least, like, you thought of the things before, and, and you should still She's after. She's always in my head. Yeah. So I, I really like that answer. Um, but now I'm going to ask you the last three questions, so. Are these, these ones are fun ones, eh? No, they're not fun. Oh. Like, they're fine. Okay. I think they're fun. They're the three questions I ask on every episode. We're, we're having fun. Regardless. Yeah, we are having fun. Yeah. So the first question is, um, what is one thing that your dad told you that you live your life by? Oh, yeah. You asked me about these, so I was going to think about it. So I like the question because you're thinking it's kind of, for me, the significance of what have they told you to me is more of what have they shown you. Yeah. And what I would say one of the things my dad has shown me is just like, just be kind and open first before any other response in every scenario and i'm talking about whether it's the grocery store whether it's at a, a conference whether it's out in public at an event he just um he just usually treats people really really kindly in the beginning and then makes judgments later and to me i've always thought of that as really really appreciative of it because as kids when you go out like everything you learn about how to treat people is from your parents firsthand right mm-hmm. so that to me has always just made me feel good about like talking to people and going in nice and hopefully you know you can make out of there with with uh without falling over yeah that's a good one i think that i'm the same way as like well what did they show me it's not about words of action second one i always ask people is what is one thing he you wish he told you that he wish he told me or showed you or showed me okay one lesson that you kind of wish you didn't have to learn on your own see that's another good one because for me I will say you have to learn the lesson on your own. And so in spite of that, my dad has told me so many things. Let's say I, he'll advise me against it. I'll do it. Lessons learned myself. And it's I tell myself I can't do it just in spite of him. But one thing I think he could have given me um, probably some better, maybe some more direction in university. But I think it was, I was also at a time when I was maybe adversarial towards it. Mm-hmm. Because I think my dad tried to tell me a lot of things, but I was reject, rejecting them, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think in my early adulthood, probably still going through it, I'm trying to rebel against the things that I think maybe he doesn't know. But the reality is, these guys know everything. They did it all, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think I had a conversation with my mom the other day about um, how, you know, we are a generation that doesn't really listen to our parents. And there, there's she's like, there's a good reason why... I guess there's a bit more rebellion and listening, but it's like we still know. But I would say they still know. In a lot of cases, growing up with social media has really changed what knowing is anymore. And I would say it's been like a drastic shift. So much misinformation out there. Just like not just in the t- way that people people behave and interact with each yeah. other. Like the amount of opportunity to be do things in the dark is like a lot higher. I completely agree. Um, yeah, and so the last question I have for you is what is one thing you're going to tell your future kids if you want them? Or just the kids of the future. The kids of the future, that's a good one. <sighs> I'm doing my best out here. That's what I'm going to say to them. I'm, I'm doing more than other people. Because I, in terms of environmental, so I'm not saving the world myself, but I'm doing my best. Mm-hmm. What, what, are you gonna, what advice do you want to give them? Okay, advice? Yeah. Was that what the question was? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> What's one thing you're going to tell your future kids? Or kids the of the kids, future? The kids of the future. Ten years from from now does not matter. Like, worry about today at first. Deal with every day as you're going through them as the most important day of your life. Because seven days from now doesn't even exist if you don't get through today. With that being said, you might enjoy every part of those days too. So be happy and live in, live in the moment. I like that one. Thanks. A lot. Uh, so that concludes my questions. Yeah. Um, 
what you got for me, I guess. You dude, said I was, you wanted to Dude, you told me you were homeschooled. I didn't even know that. Yeah. But I also think uh, educational background before high school, where we, we don't even really develop that much. But uh, I guess, yeah, how has your life changed for the better since you've had the podcast? Um, actually, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> I would, I don't know if, I've been doing a lot of reflection on this recently. I don't know if it's changed me for the better. Oh, I would say... Is it inhibiting you? No, okay, so... It's really interesting. I would say, even though I know this podcast called Imperfect, for whatever reason, since posting about this, I feel like I've put a lot more pressure on myself to be perfect. Okay. And it's like... Because now you feel like other people are watching anymore. I Yeah, like there's so many things that could go... It's just like, it's kind of an r- irrational fear of I don't want to be so much in the public eye because... I know I'm not perfect, and I know that sometimes as you get more fame, you get more scrutinized, yeah. and then people will start to expose you. It, expose you. Absolutely. And I've done bad shit, and I know it. Like, Have you broken the law? No, I've never broken the law. Are you a felon? No. Okay. I've never broken the law. It's more just like immoral or okay. unethical to me. So, like, I don't think it's not unethical in the societal sense, I don't think. Okay. Um, but it's unethical to me. It goes against the values that I've held, and I like, I do them, and I still do them. And, it, and it's me as a man that, and it's like, fuck, why do I do this still? I know it's wrong, but I'm still doing it. And so I would say, in that sense, I struggle a lot with thinking that, like, I'm putting a lot more pressure on myself to be a better man. And I know I'm not a perfect man, but it's like, my, I'm not, it's ironic because my podcast is literally called Imperfect for that reason, but now I feel more pressure to be perfect. So that pressure doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? No. And I completely agree with you. When you when I find when you have a voice and you have a position, all of a sudden you have to be the position that you took. Yeah. But I think it's okay to have your position changed over time because you've been influenced by other, um, by other information. Yeah. I think that would be like the biggest struggle I've had. Okay. Um, or one of the biggest things I've learned, and it's only been in the last two or three weeks that I really felt a lot more pressure to be perfect. And I don't, I don't like the word perfect. It almost to me it doesn't exist. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And because it would be like absolute zero, right? Mm-hmm. You can always argue. You can. There's a little thing, a step you can take. Mm-hmm. So, I like imperfect because that almost, if with the brackets, it almost means like perfect is actually impossible. The M has to always be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically what I mean. Imperfect is about um, I'm perfect and imperfect, like contrasting the ego of the man. Oh wow, the and, duality and the, so and body. the I'm perfect. Yeah, of like the male ego, but also the imperfect of male vulnerabilities. Okay. And so like it's about contrasting the two, and like what masculinity to me is the line between those two. And right now, I would say in a lot of my life, I'm thinking too much like I'm perfect rather than imperfect, and trying to. You're challenging. You're challenging yourself yeah. to change. I like it's it. Hard. It's hard, but everyone's doing it in yeah. one way or another. Yeah. And it might not be the same change you are, but other people are changing as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of... I have a lot of bad habits. Let's put it that way. You not a lot. I have a few bad habits. You don't put the seat that down, point, eh? Like, do I put the seat down? Yeah. I always. After I'm done? Yeah. Yeah, and I always lift it up when I go to... <laughs> Whoa. I grew up in a family of females. Okay. So I've been told... Seat down. When I pee? When I pee? Yeah. No, seat up. Oh. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Seat's always up. Seat's then, up, it's down when you're done. And then when you're down when you're done. Because yeah. you live yeah. in a... This isn't a fucking farm, okay? The first swear word of the epi. Wow, wait until the end. Um, no, so I would say... Okay, that's, a, that's a negative change. I, would say, I said positive change. I know. <laughs> well, you said what's one... You said, how has my life changed? Or you said, what's the biggest positive change? No, <laughs> yeah, no. How it changed positively. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah. that's, okay, that's negative. Positive. Well, on the playback, yeah. Positive is, uh, it's really forced me and allowed me to create an excuse to build better friendships with my guy friends. Number one, by far, hands down. The boys need friendship just as much as anyone else. Yeah. And it's like meaningful friendship. Yeah. Like it's Like it's not... I'm trying to use them or anything like that. Like, I'm going to go back. I've been thinking about texting a couple of guys that I've had on and be like, hey, let's get up, meet up, meet up for a brewski. Are we having the whole gang do That'd be meetup? sick. I actually, just when I was saying that, thought we should do a whole gang meetup of I everyone not, that's been I might not be able to go. 
Why? Oh, because you're gonna be in Ottawa. I don't know where I'm gonna be. I'm just saying. You don't know where you're gonna be. Either. I'd rather I'd rather tentatively be busy than say I'm free and I'm not. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I still want the invite though. I want to be in the group. I'll comment yeah. in the Facebook group for sure. And then, like, that would be a great way to make a guy's group. Yeah. Um, and this is probably a pretty powerful group of people in the sense that like everyone's been on the pod, and that's just good exposure. Yeah. That's yeah. So, yeah, that's the, I got the answer to your first question. Did you have more? Or? I have one more. Okay. Okay. Casual Friday. What's the best outfit you ever saw, Janaris, on a Casual Friday? Mine. What'd you wear? Wore this. <laughs> That's the best outfit. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, casual Friday. What's the best I've ever seen? So then the next question is a two-part okay. question. Is the office becoming too casual? Is business casual? Just casual? Every office or generis? I want to say like this office of North America. Because it's not just happening in one. No. It's happening in all of them. I would say I like it. Oh. Okay. I'm not a dresser upper. I don't like dressing up, so okay. it doesn't benefit me. Like it benefits me to wear what I'm comfortable in. I feel like I perform best in what I'm comfortable in. I also got the idea of, you know, which what I'm comfortable in is a, is a nice sweater and chinos. So yep. it's not like unprofessional. I get the idea of like dressing the act and dressing with confidence and or dressing for confidence. To me, that's all about the underwear though. That has nothing to do with what's on the outer shell. Okay, but just to let everyone know, this man across from me also wore a fanny pack. Every day. Every with, day. With the suit. I wore it to the interview with the suit. You wore it to your interview? With my suit. And this guy didn't tuck in his dress shirt either. So, like, when he says suit, he's not talking about, like, a nice suit. He's talking about a wrinkled dress shirt <laughs> that he biked three hours in to that, get to I work. I would bike it. Sometimes I actually get changed after I went to the gym in the morning. Yeah. So, this man, I don't know what he's talking about, but he didn't look business casual ever. He <laughs> wore a fanny pack when I asked him about it. You know what he said? He said, um, they call it pickpocket, not pick fanny pack. <laughs> Literally, I will never forget that quote. That's such a good line. That's got to be my Instagram bio. I think so. Yeah. I haven't worn the fanny pack since I got a haircut, though. Did you get a haircut? Yeah. Oh, you did. It used yeah. to be a lot longer. It used to be a lot longer. Now it's short. It's you used to have the lettuce. I used to have lettuce, but now it's going to be long again. Okay, you're good. Yeah. It's not very political. <laughs> Trudeau had long hair when he won. It was in. True. Yeah. He just wasn't old enough, though. No, he won his first time when he was 42. He's I know. Like, I was saying his, uh, he's just not old enough. Isn't that, wasn't that the anti-campaign? That was the last time. Like, yeah. This time they went after other stuff. Well, there's a lot more to go after. <laughs> how, that's my question with politics, is how did that take four years to come out? Or like he was an off. He's been in politics for twelve years. So what I will say is like every piece of dirt you ever see on on someone has been known about for thirty years, and yeah. just like someone goes into this library of like <laughs> they, any person they have a library of like dirt they have, and like okay, let's see what we're gonna try to pull out, and like and it's not necessarily that there's dirt; it's that they're gonna say what can we pull out about their past and fabricate something with. Mm-hmm. Um, so they found that, yeah. Yeah. But uh, do you have any more questions? So That's now, good now what do we do? Now, uh, do we, we never talk to each other again. <laughs>